Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to the episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Well, the news is out. No Grand National Roadster Show going to be in 2021 this year. They've postponed it until 2022 based on uh, the provisions that would be required and based on current lockdowns that are happening in Southern California right now. But they do say that they're going to have Prado this year, so we got one thing to look forward to. I have been contemplating maybe throwing on an event sometime in April or May in Vegas. So if you guys want to see an event in April or May, hit me up with an email. Let me know you'd be committed to coming at Bill at Let's Talk Dubs is my email. Or you can always DM me or post it up and tag me in your desire for a car show on Instagram. And we'll see what kind of response we get. And you never you never know. I may just have one more crazy weekend in Vegas, this time with a big car show and some other stuff happening. But it all depends on if people are looking to do something like that. So pass it on to your friends. Make sure they follow us on Instagram and that they uh, go on Facebook and make a comment or tag us in a post, something to that effect. Also want to remind you guys to support the podcast. Make sure you go to letstalkdubs.com, go to our website, go to the merch page, and select some stuff. There'll also be a link down in the details of this podcast. You guys will be able to uh, show your support for the podcast by picking up some gear. I appreciate those that have been picking up some gear. I want to do a shout out this week. Jeff Pierce, 36. He's rating it again. He says he's given five stars before, but he has to do it again. He looks forward to the podcast every week. Jeff's over there giving another review on Apple Podcasts. Remember, guys, all the reviews. We're at 184 reviews, guys. There's got to be a way that 16 of you guys listening right now that haven't reviewed the podcast can go to the bottom of your thing and hit review a podcast. Give us a review. Get a shout out. Let's get over 200 reviews for our podcast. Our next guest on the show, uh, I met in Salt Lake City at the uh, Salt Lake VW Classic. I saw he was driving this oddball shorty bus and we got to chatting and he was making some disc brake setups and i kind of picked you picked his brain a little bit like okay here's another guy making a brake setup but it's a pretty unique setup he makes he makes some inexpensive beams uh and he's got a real um engineering mind and comes up with some pretty cool stuff so uh, this week's show we've got brian aria and he's out of Rapid City, South Dakota. He owns a company called Type E Motorsports. So if you guys are looking to check him out, go to type, uh, type-emotorsports.com and check out his stuff. Uh, look in the detailed notes for links to pictures of some of his stuff that he's done rock crawling and also some of his current rides and things that he does. So uh, good podcast this week. Lots of information about suspension. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week with Brian Aria on Let's Talk Dubs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motors Security Blanket. Okay, everybody. So on today's show, uh, about two, it's almost two years ago, I was in uh, Salt Lake City for the VW, the Utah VW Classic. And I happened to meet, I saw the shorty single cab sitting there and I, it caught my eye and I saw this guy was selling brake kits and whatever. So I went over and talked to him and he was from South Dakota. And I thought the guys in Utah were far enough from Southern California. We struck up a conversation. That's where I met Brian with Type E Motorsports. And I want to welcome him to the podcast today. Brian, welcome to the podcast. 
It takes a lot, though. You're out of you're out of Rapid City, South Dakota, right? Yes, Black Hills. And so that's not known as like the mecca of the Volkswagen era. And so seeing you there in your shorty bus and and finding out what you were doing and all that stuff really piqued my interest. And and you and I have been touching bases back and forth for quite a while, just trying to sit down to do a podcast. And I'm, I'm glad I got you on here today. Um, as we start the podcast, always we always start with your VW story. And how did you get into Volkswagens? Well, I was born and raised in uh, Lancaster, California, middle of the Mojave Desert, and I always thought they were kind of cool. There was a kid when I was in high school. Um, I moved up here when I was 14. I had spent my freshman year in California there. There was a kid at our high school that had a black bug, and I didn't know anything about him then. I just know it was a black bug lowered a little bit, and it had Porsche wheels on it, and I thought it was cool looking. And uh, one day I was standing out in front of the school waiting for my ride to get there, and uh, this little black bug pulls up alongside of a, well, it would have been almost new Honda CRX then in 1994. Uh-huh. And uh, this little bug, they both pulled out into the traffic, and this little bug just went right around into oncoming traffic and just walked right around the CRX like nothing. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And ever since then, I've kind of I've kind of liked them a little bit, and I picked up Hot VW's magazines every once in a while and flipped through them. Didn't think much of it. Moved here. Uh, South Dakota, and of course, there isn't much going on here for them. Um, every time you go to a gas station, you fill up, somebody comes and talks to you when you drive a VW up here, and it's the same response every time, and they come over, and they start chatting with you, and they said, yeah, my roommate had one of those in college, and boy, we froze our asses off that thing. Right. And that's what they always say. So, I got into rock crawling when I got up here. I was big, big into that. I spent uh, almost 10 years building tube chassis uh, competition rock crawlers, and I competed all over the country in those. Kind of got burnt out on that, and it kind of started going away. And uh, I picked up a grocery, uh, another Hot VWs at the grocery store and started flipping through it and thought I needed to get one of these. So um, through some friends in the off-road world, I ended up buying a bug in uh, Burbank, and it was actually from uh, David Freiberger, the editor of Hot Rod Magazine a long time ago. Oh, really? And. Yeah, he had it. We had an empty spot in the trailer on the way home, and I gave him 800 bucks for this little bug and brought it back home. Oh, wow. And that's the so and, yeah, you, and, I, and, and that bug you still have today, or did you sell that one? Nah, I got rid of that. I've been through quite a few since then. That was probably... So what, see, what year was that? My oldest, that was a 67 bug on a 69 pan. My oldest boy is 14 now. I got it when he was like one. So, yeah, it was about 14 years ago that I got that car. So, I mean, I haven't been into it my whole life. Sure. I just kind of, I guess I'm new to the scene, 14 well, years or so. Yeah, well, not that new, but and, and then that starts to get me down the path of the questions. And so you having experience building, you know, tube chassis and obviously welding and fabricating and doing all that kind of stuff and then starting to look into the VW hobby. And I think once you're, once you're in it, it becomes this addiction, right? Where like... You think they're just bugs. Oh, for sure. You think it's just a yep. bug, and then you realize there's so many layers of just beetles, you know? Yep. Yeah. And then you keep going. And, and, and what's funny is you've got, in, in your previous world of rock crawling and all that stuff, suspension, drivetrain, all, all that stuff really parallels right into Volkswagen stuff. Yes. Yeah, when I, when I got my, my first bug, I knew I wanted to lower it, and I started doing a little research, and I, I saw that you needed to do a narrow beam, and I immediately looked at the beam and thought, well, okay, well, I can narrow that, no problem. So I built myself a beam, 
quick and easy. That was the first thing I did. And then uh, I built some stuff to lower the back, and I, it was just an evolving little car. Um, and then I started building more beams for people, a couple guys around here, and more and more and more. And beams were a big thing, so I did a lot of those. Um, and that's also uh, the engines. I've done a lot of engine stuff. I built a uh, 2054 was the first engine I built. Mm-hmm. And that was for that car. Uh, did all the machine work, that kind of stuff on it, and uh, slowly progressed. And now I do a lot of engines and a lot of cylinder head stuff, plus all the suspension now. So I'm pretty busy. And now in South Dakota, like in your world down there, how is the VW scene? And then what what areas do you guys kind of cross, cross over with? Mostly everything out here you find is late models parked in fields. Mm-hmm. And there, there aren't a lot of early cars, and I, I'm guessing it's because they were so. I mean, we're so far away from a coast. It's not like the New England side and Southern California and the Portland area. Right. So I think it, I think it took a long time for the cars to get up here, and they weren't exactly ideal. Um, I mean, it, it gets cold here, so. But there are some around. I mean, I've pulled three buses out of yards up here and they're scattered about, but there's not like you find an oval window every other week kind of thing. I don't right. know if I've ever seen, I think we might have one oval window in town, maybe two. That's about it. So, so it's pretty scarce. And then uh, how, how big is the scene there? I mean, like in, in South Dakota and over there in rapid city, rapid city is fairly big city, right? Is it the biggest city in South Dakota? No, Sioux Falls is, is quite a bit bigger, but it's way out on the plains and it's really cold over there. I think there's nothing to do over there. So yeah. we, we have the whole Black Hills here. Um, Mount Rushmore is 20 minutes from me. So, I mean, a beautiful area. We can go cruising through the hills. There's probably 30, 40 guys that I know of in town uh-huh. um, that just have bugs. So, I mean, half of them are, are like a late model or a super beetle or something that they just keep around. And then there's probably like 10 of us that are real good buddies and have multiple cars and doing a lot of stuff. And so that, it's pretty small. And, and so getting in the VW scene, you're you're the noob getting into the VW scene and kind of connecting with the, the South Dakota guys. Now, are those guys, when you're meeting up with those, because I remember, you know, I had a car club here back in the day, and, and uh, Terry, who was in my car club, she was from, I, I can't remember if it was North Dakota or South Dakota, but I think it was South Dakota. And she she had, and this is early 90s, her bug had a distinct look to it. Like it was a white rag top with some pink accents and it, <laughs> it had like Jackman style Baja wheels with low profile tires on it. So it was like, it definitely had a specific. That, that we, sounds like a. The Dakotas. We called yeah, it the South. Like yeah, we called it the Dakota look. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, it was like, yeah, it, like the, a Midwest car kind of has a it's it's specific look to it. And I don't know if it's yeah. because it's it's more influenced on just a hey, a bug is no different than a Chevy, and you can buy this and buy that and put that on it, and it translates I, over. Versus, I, I don't know. You know, you might I have think a, the, the style from around here would mm-hmm. be whatever is easy to get and cheap to get right and that's basically it because it's a little different up here a little different world than in california yeah people i guess they prioritize their vehicles a little differently here uh-huh. it's kind of like you get this old one that your grandpa gave to you and you're just going to make the most of it regardless of whether it's a late model or an oval window yeah and you just kind of whatever you can come across you just go with it and that, that's just the way it kind of falls together i guess and the shorty i guess would be a really good south dakota style that's 
I mean, I love that little truck, but in all of its goofiness, that is like South Dakota. Did you find that like that somewhere in South Dakota? Yeah, it was, um, it was about a half hour from rapid here out in the prairie. Uh, it was at an estate auction and, uh, my wife, uncle saw it there. I ended up finding the guy that bought it and I bought it the day after he bought it from the auction. I didn't get to go to the auction. I didn't find out about the auction until it was over. Um, but I found out the guy that bought it and I immediately went and bought the truck from him. And, uh, yeah, and it was cut in half. It's a 57 single cab cut in half, narrowed or shortened 34 inches and gas welded all back together again. And then it was put in a field for, well, I got a buddy that lives in Denver that used to live here. And he said he remembers drinking beer in high school, sitting in the field. So, and, it, and it had been sitting there that long like at least 30 years and had never been like it was never finished or it was finished and just they just stopped driving it i think it was finished and they stopped driving it because i well that same buddy um that used to live here he said that his dad remembers a guy driving it around in Sturgis. so as far as i can tell it was finished at one point and then parked in the field and left there the engine was out of it um I mean, it's been sitting there for 30 years, so it's pretty trashed by the time I got to it. Yeah. But, yeah, it was cut all those. It's all original paint, but it was cut in half and gas welded back together with a torch, a pedaling torch set. Oh, get out of here. So, and I mean, it it was like, uh, it's gas welded. I mean, it's not like amazingly done, but it looks to me exactly like a rancher that has his old VW and needs something to do in the wintertime. And he's just going to cut their truck in half and weld it back together. And that's exactly what it is. And that's. It the way did, I found it. Yeah, when I when I saw it, it didn't look like it didn't look super hacked up to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, whoever welded it back together with like the settling torch set is actually a pretty good welder, <laughs> right? So, yeah. So I mean, it, and it's sturdy. I mean, I've been all over the thing. I've been under it. The frame rails are welded back together again. The whole thing is put back together, and it's. I would have done some things differently, but that's what it is. So I'm just going with it. And that and that thing was pretty cool. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely an eye catcher and. You know, you and I were talking uh, at the Classic, and I was just checking it out, and I saw your brake kits that you made, and you really took an interesting path on your brake setup. We're going to get real deep into kind of the products that you make, but not quite yet. Uh, so I'm still yeah. working with the evolution now. So now you're, you're in the VW scene. You've got your new Volkswagen, or your new-to-you Volkswagen, and you're flipping through the magazines, and you're coming, looking at it through the eyes of a guy who can take a piece of, uh, uh, you know, tube steel and build a whole chassis out of it and you're looking at the stuff that's coming on the market what's your what is your interpretation of like the stuff that you're doing like the stuff you're seeing that's available for sale and you're thinking like i can do that i mean how does that come about yeah that's that's basically what i thought when i saw everything i was kind of like well that's really easy um so i guess the whole vw thing to me coming from the rock crawling world and the rock crawling world is has always been a like 100% do it yourself. I mean, it's dudes with their old truck and they cut it up and weld it and, and they, it's all do it yourself. In the VW scene, it was like the opposite from what I saw from my first thing. It's guys and it's got to be 100% bolt on. They're not wanting to drill holes. They're not wanting to cut extra panels out. They're not wanting to do anything crazy. It's just like little bits here and there. A beam is easy because it comes a it comes ready. You can bolt it all back together again, and there's no major modifications. You can put it back to stock again real easy if you want. Right. So that's, that's what I kind of noticed when I first started doing this was everything's got to be bolt-on easy, and there's very few guys that will do really, really crazy stuff. 
like like cutting up an entire vehicle kind of thing. Yeah. So like the rock crawler guys, they could care less if they're going to whack the top off, cut the frame in half, ditch the bed. It's no big deal. Yeah. So, yeah. But to the VW guys, it's still got to remain. I mean, it might it might be building a Baja, but it's still got to remain somewhat simple, I guess. Yeah. Hold on, easy. And, and and in your background with rock crawling. You know, you look at suspension articulation, bind. I mean, a lot, a lot of things because in that world, oh, yeah. you know, the suspension holds the car up. It also yep. has to be able to endure full articulation and still maintain proper geometry so that the vehicle doesn't pull one side to the other. And exactly. And looking at the Volkswagen, which <clears throat> it's funny because. You probably look at the Volkswagen and say, well, why don't you just put a three-point, you know, like a like a three-link rear end and do this and do this and do this. And and as a techno- as technologically advanced as VW people want to be, everybody still holds on to the torsion front yep. suspension and the torsion rear suspension. And, and, and cutting that out and doing something else becomes like the sacrilegious type thing. So it's like now the challenge is where in the rock crawling world, it's like, clean slate you have a pile of tubing a welder and some grinders and some stuff and 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 just sketch and go crazy and in the vwc and it's like okay everything's got to work within this parameter torsion front and rear suspension and when you're looking at that knowing what you know about suspension now you're looking at the different things that are made you know whether it's spring print uh, a spring print spring plate spring plate relocation kit or stepped rear swing uh the the spring plates having the step in them or the ones that have the offset i mean you see all this stuff and what's your thought process in regards to coming into this world new and and looking at the vw people and what they're creating i i guess when i really start looking at it it's really 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 hard to come up with something new like every, I mean, because they've been around forever and everybody's done everything. So, I mean, you see all these different mousetraps, different ways to get the same thing in the end. Right. Um, and it, I don't know when I, when I'm designing my parts, I try and come up with a different way to do it. That's like the disc brake kits, how those came about a different way to go about doing the same thing. Um, and the same thing with the IRS kits for the buses, but it's, it's tough. It's, it, the vehicle itself is so simple, and if you change anything too drastically, it becomes way overly complicated, and it doesn't need to be. So it's you got to keep it simple, and yeah. that's the way it is and the way it's always been. So it, it's it's tough. Now with the uh, and I, I was just thinking about this because you know a lot I'm looking I'm looking online at uh, Type E Motorsports Type E hyphen Motorsports uh, and. I'm checking out the stuff that you're making, and I and I notice your prices are pretty competitive as far as the front, the stripped down front beam, the narrowed beam, mm-hmm. and, and things like that, which I would think has a lot to do with a your location where you're at, b your experience in fabrication and accessibility to DOM tubing stuff like that, where maybe some other guys are. I mean, the labor to take a stock beam and narrow it is. is that's a lot of, I mean, you got half a day in ripping the old beam apart. You know what I mean? I did one of those once. That was yeah. it. And you thought to yourself, like, this is the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're incredibly labor intensive. Not, I mean, even after you get the thing clean, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. So it's, 
it, and yeah, I, and I, that's where I started doing them. I just do it all clean slate, and I do SolidWorks um, drawings all the time, so I'm good with SolidWorks. So to me, it's easier to draw up a tube and draw up in plates and draw up the brackets, have it all laser cut and sent to me, and then I just start assembling, and it's like nothing. So, I mean, I can have a beam built before you can even have a stock beam clean. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's intense. And so when you when you like if you commit a day to just pump punching out beams, how many beams you build in a day? Just you're doing the, the narrow beams. You can build four or five beams a day. Uh, if I did an entire day, I could probably well, usually from a pile of parts on the rack to a fully welded beam is about 45 minutes to an hour. Get out of here. Yeah. So it's but I mean, I have the tubes laser cut. They're laser cut on the ends. The notch for the adjuster is laser cut. All the end pieces are laser cut. The mounts are laser cut and bent. Um, yeah, they're all broke. And then I have a jig that I, I made up that's adjustable, but I still don't need a tape measure. Everything has stops, and it's all preset. Right. So, I mean, it's just like dropping parts into this fixture, tack everything, fully weld everything, and it's done. Yeah. I mean, and, and maybe it comes from your experience in chassis building and stuff like that, that, that you kind of go, okay, if I'm going to build 10 of these things, I want something where I can, you know, all the labor on your end, it seems like is done on the engineering side and design side. And then when you yep. get it together, you're just, you're just basically gluing pieces together. I mean, you're welding them, but you know yeah. what I mean? You're just assembling it. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm, and I think that's another part that's different from me and the other guys, I guess I do a lot of production kind of stuff. And it seems like a lot of the other guys are kind of the ones and twos. But, I mean, like when I go and order tubes for beams, I, I make sure I've got enough stuff to build me 30 beams. Yeah. So it's, yeah, and I, and I make sure that when I'm, I mean, I probably spent five or six nights on SolidWorks putting the fixture together just to make my life easier the rest of the time building beams. So, yeah, and it is, yeah, like you said, a lot more time in the engineering side than the building side. Yeah, and what what what's some of the things that you've seen with the front? Because you're coming the front beam thing, brand new, right? You get you've got everything from CBs, narrow, the the Puma beams, which I think are the factory the the factory narrow beams for the Puma. Um, mm-hmm. You've got you know air cooled stuff. You've got um, you know all, all these guys out there making different stuff, and so now you're looking at the same beam and. And you're looking at it from a different standpoint. You know, some people are putting extra gussets. I like that you've got a piece of three eighths plate that's got a break in it, and I mean, it looks it looks pretty stout for that shock, that shock thing. Yeah, I, I get a lot of crap from a, a couple of good buddies because I came from the rock crawling world. Yeah, and when we the way we used to build stuff was we intended it to get smashed across a rock, and it had to be really beefy, and it had to be really tough. So, like, I've got a good buddy in Washington that I send a bunch of stuff to, and he's always laughing at me because I, I start out with three-eighths and quarter-inch plate instead of starting out with, with eighth-inch plate. So my stuff is actually heavy Yeah. just because that's where I came from, but I'd rather, I mean, it's suspension parts. I'd rather it be extra tough than not tough enough. Yeah, well, so, I mean, no doubt. I mean, especially when you see a lot of these guys, you know, uh, the guys are running no shock towers and dragging the beam across the front of the – front of the yeah. uh, drag it across the asphalt you know it uh, doesn't take much to 
punch through some of that uh, 16th inch <laughs> sheet metal. Yeah. That yeah, exactly. Laying up on there. I mean, I think the factory is like a 16th inch sheet metal. That's just like they're, they're two pieces that are seam welded together. And yeah, uh, it's it, that a couple of times and it's gone. Yeah, exactly. So uh, looking at the front suspension, uh, did you just decide like, I'm going to go, I'm going to make, I'm going to offer what's already out there. There's really not much I can do in, in ways of evolution. And then what's your philosophy from shock to no shock and all that fun stuff. I think when I started looking at the other beams that were available, like you said, there isn't a lot you can change. I think I just went and said, well, this is cool and everything, but if you eliminated a couple of these things, this would make it that much easier. And then I can do it a little cheaper and easier just from the way I, do it production wise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I can keep my prices pretty low because it doesn't cost me a lot to to do them in the first place. So I eliminated some things to keep it simple. Um, Like the adjusters, I I don't use the splices in the middle. I use a one piece tube. So, I mean, there's a bunch of time saved right there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's a lot, just little things to pick up three and four minutes here and there. Um, And then uh, what was your other question? Sorry. So about in regards to um, on the on the front suspension, like shock tower, no shock tower. Because I oh, noticed, shock, no shock. I know yeah. you have a disclaimer on there, but it's funny because the VW people just ha- it's. I think when everybody's a do-it-yourselfer and we all come in from different levels of knowledge and understanding of uh, principles of physics and and metallurgy and things to that extent, everyone has a default to use the shock locations as the suspension. Uh, you know, that holds up the car, which it's, you know, you're, you have a disclaimer says this is not designed to hold the suspension of your bus up. Like that's what your torsion bars are for. But right. You know, let's talk about the shock and no shock philosophy on your end. Cause in rock, I don't see any rock car haulers without shocks on them. Right. When I first built my, my first beam for my first bug, I put shock towers on it because I grew up in a V8 muscle car, Jeep world. And you drive grandma's, LTD down the street with no front shocks on it and the thing never stops. You hit a bump and it's just up and down, up and down. It never stops. So when I built my first beam, I put shock towers on it because I thought everybody was crazy for not running shocks. So I got the car and it had the old style urethane bushings. When I, when I built the beam, I built it to run the old style urethane bushings and I put KYB gas shocks on it and everything just like I ordered out of the book. Mm-hmm. I was new. Put it all together and the thing rode horribly. Super rough nasty ride so i took the shocks off and thought well this is quite a bit better so it rode nice and i figured at that point because there's no weight up there it's not the same as grandma's ltd that needed shocks it's a whole different animal yeah so i'm and i've slowly progressed with the beams and now i kind of have combos that work really good and they're still that's why i offer the shock tower beams and some guys love them and other guys have experienced both and they think you don't need shocks so it's still, I probably sell, I don't know, probably twice as many no-shock beams as shock beams. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, it I don't know, it's it's a toss-up. I, I have a car that I'm building in my garage for myself right now that's got no-shocks on the front. So, and it, and it, uh, most of it comes down to how well the bushings fit in the beam. And most of the bushings that you can buy do not fit good in the beam. And let's talk so, about let's let, let's talk about the importance of bushings for a minute, like because maybe that's one thing that's often overlooked. I know I've got two different front beams in my I've got my two buses, 
I've got my my red and black bus has a stock beam in it, and I run the Porsche twist wheel, so I've got a lot of positive offsets, so my wheels are sucked in pretty good. And then mm-hmm. on my uh, my carbon cab, I've got a narrowed beam two inches, but it's got these forsaken urethane bushings, man, that it sounds like you're you're eating some of that uh, cheese curd when you're driving around because I, I, I tell you, it just squeaks. It, like it squeaks so freaking loud in the front end. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's unnerving. You know what I mean? And so there's, there's a yeah. lot of variation to, there's things that like people don't even pay attention to that. Like they won't even pay attention to a squeak that their front end's putting out. And they just it, it, like, I guess if you're driving your bus and you're starting to think like, especially like, like I didn't really notice it so much when my radio was working, <laughs> but now right. when, when my system's yeah. out and I'm like every little bump I hear ear, ear, and I'm just going crazy. And so that was, you know, everybody went with the urethane bushings for durability, like off-road, but no one's taking these things through a thousand miles of the Baja. These are street cars. So let's talk about the difference and the evolution that you've seen in in the inserts on the ends of the beams. The I think the ultimate is, of course, needle bearing. Mm-hmm. But build a needle bearing beam, and I've built a few of them. It is a huge pain, big pain. Like machining, it's easy to get a needle bearing into a beam. Mm-hmm. But it's really difficult to get a needle bearing into a beam that will work good with the arm in there, where it still travels correctly but doesn't wobble. There's some really tight tolerances in there, mm-hmm. and and it it's hard to do. So and it takes a huge amount of time to do it. So the easy thing is to slap in a bushing, but the bushings have to be super sloppy, and tube sizes vary, wall thicknesses vary, so you can't really make one mass-produced bushing that fits slightly varying tube sizes it just doesn't work so i've been like on the, the hybrid bus beam stuff i machine all my own bushings and i don't use urethane i use um like delrun or uh nylatron or uhmw i've been trying different stuff but i machine them out of hard plastic and it's like the next closest thing to a bearing that, that you can get so right. I mean, it's slick hard plastic now expl- explain to our listeners that might not be super familiar. Like, what's the difference between urethane and Delron? Well, urethane is meant to be squishy bushing material, mm-hmm. and it's meant for like control arm bushings, that kind of thing that need a little bit of give in them. And then, like the Delron or the UHMW is a hard plastic that's easy to machine, but it's not meant to have any squish in it, and it's just meant to be slick and keep metal away from metal. And that's exactly what the needle bearings do. They're slick and they keep metal away from metal. So this is like the next best thing to a, a needle bearing is a hard, slick plastic. Yeah. So and I, I, there's a company in North Dakota that machines, uh, well, they make bushings for John Deere and Case planters for out in the field uh-huh. for the arms that pivot up and down. And they use that material in those bushings. And that's like probably one of the, worst environments in the world is out in a dusty field all day long for a bushing oh yeah and that's this this nylatron stuff that i i get from them that's what i want to use in my bean bushings because if it survives in a dirty dusty field for miles and miles and miles it'll hold up the front end of a bus oh without question i mean you know if, when you when you look at the two different things a, a piece of equipment that sit there buried in a dust cloud the entire day while it's being you know, use and has yeah. to has to keep and and the torque that's being put on that access point is probably a, a Volkswagen torsion ar- arm would never see the equivalent of that. So if it lasts one day oh, yeah. 
for that. Yeah, and then <laughs> the vibration and the banging, I mean, it, it, yeah, planters and that kind of thing, all they're doing is just bouncing over dirt clods in a field all day long. Yeah. So, yep. Well, you know, the, tech, so that's, the, the technology's there. It's just like uh, how do we apply the best technology from other from other industries into our hobby right. to where we can get, you know, because ultimately, and here's the bottom line, a lot of VW people want to do everything themselves. If they see a beam is $2,000, they want to, they want to do it themselves and do it for 500 or 300 or whatever the case is. So it's yeah. like, you've got to, there's always the, the trying to bring it to the market and then also have something that's palatable. Cause anybody can build the most state of the art, you know, front suspension that's built out of unobtainium, but you're going to sell two. Maybe, yeah, exactly. You know, so, um, so now this, what do you call it? Nylatron, huh? That's, I haven't even heard of Nylatron. Is that like the newest, latest? Uh, uh, well, I, <laughs> I got this, this, uh, from this plastics company and they machine, I mean, they have, it's a huge corporation and they have hundreds of engineers and they sent me this book on different types of plastic and the book is seriously a half inch thick and it's a catalog of different kinds of plastic and they all have different temperature ratings they all have different uh, wear points everything it's insane and i just told them what i needed it to do and they said well this one we use on these planters and tractors this one would probably work really good i thought okay so that's that's how i came across that one the one type but like i said there's hundreds of types of this nylatron delron different styles of hard plastics Wow. And your, yeah. and your beam, the one that you're doing for your buses, um, that you use that in your front suspension. Now let's talk about that. Um, that hybrid, you called it a hybrid. Yeah. It's basically, I, I was, I had a bus here, a bay window here that I was working on. Um, I wanted to lower it, build a cool front end for it. Uh, the first one, my first bus I did, I built the narrowed beam, didn't know what to do for spindles. I ordered a set from Nate. Um, I ran those on it for years and I sold that bus. I got my second bus. I wanted to do something different and I'm staring at a spindle looking at it thinking, well, if I want to build new spindles, I need to make a new spindle, the spud with the threads and everything on there. That's a lot of machine work pretty involved. And I started staring at it and all of a sudden it clicked in my head back to my rock crawling days, a hub assembly, which is what we use on the rock crawlers. On the mm -hmm. rock crawlers, we used to use Ford Super Duty hub assemblies off the front ends of Fords, three-quarter ton trucks. So I thought, well, wait a minute. What if I build a spindle now that runs a hub assembly instead of having a whole threaded spindle with greasable wheel bearings and the whole bit that a normal VW has, I'm just going to go get one of these hub assemblies. So I went and I found one that would work. I decided to go with a Chevy bolt pattern because that's super standard. You mm -hmm. can't get one in wide five, of course. So um, I went with Chevy because that's standard and they have huge quantities of wheels available for them. And then I adapted, I built, I designed this whole spindle to accept that hub assembly. And then I used the same rotor and caliper that came off the same vehicle. So it's, it, it, it all, again, this all goes back to my rock crawling days. I wanted parts that were super simple. When you go out of town with your rock crawler and you break something, you need to go to Napa to get a part to replace it. Right. So I wanted the same thing. When I'm on a road trip in my bus, if something stupid happens and I have to replace a caliper, I want to be able to go to Napa and get a new caliper. I don't want like fancy. I mean, the Willwoods are super cool, but if you're stuck at a hotel, you got to wait two weeks to get a uh, Willwood shipped to you. Even worse if it's a, a custom machined Willwood. Sure. So I wanted super simple, inexpensive, durable is all I was after. So I built the spindles 
for the hybrid beam, got them all designed. So now I have a super common, easy to work with hub assembly, easy to get brakes. Um, I was originally designing it for a ball or for a bay window with ball joints. On my previous bay window, I noticed they don't have any ground clearance underneath them, under the beam, because the tubes are spaced further apart than a link pin. So I started looking. I decided to move the bottom tube up to a link pin spacing, and I moved the ball joints on the spindle up the same amount. So now I have basically a link pin spacing, link pin size beam with ball joints, hub assemblies, giant calipers, 10.5-inch vented rotors, all easy to get parts. And that and so the, so you call it a hybrid because your your arms your spindle can be used on either ball joint, uh, either early or late. But I mean, when when you you're going to use the ball joint trailing arms no matter what. Yes, yeah. So right now the only part that I'm reusing is bay window torsion arms. Mm-hmm. Right, those are core parts basically, but they're more plentiful than link bin arms, sure. port window bus arms. So, yeah, so I went with those. Um, I prefer ball joints. I don't like link pins just because link pins are really greasy and pain to work with. Well, so, and is there, I think there's a noticeable ride difference yes. between a ball joint yeah. and, a, and a link pin beam. Yeah, So and, and they're simple. I mean, doing an alignment on a link pin is an all-day project. Uh, doing a, an alignment on a ball joint is one wrench and a, an adjuster eccentric, and that's it. Hmm. So, it yeah, it's just a simple thing, and I... I like to think of it as evolution. I mean, VW went away from link pins for a reason and switched to ball joints for a reason. Sure. So, yeah. So it's the the hybrid beams fit in either bus, split or bay window. Um, the beam, the side plates are made to go into either one, so the same beam can go in either one. You get if you're putting it into a bay window, you get like an inch and three quarter ground clearance extra. Um, narrowed four inches. I corrected the Ackerman angle because it's narrowed. Um, in the spindle, so it still turns super tight corners in parking lots. It goes down the road amazing. Now, h- um, hang on one second, because you lost me there. What's an <laughs> what's the Ackerman angle? What is that? Ackerman angle? Yeah. It's um, the relationship between it, where the axis point, basically a, a line between the ball joints, mm-hmm. and where your tie rod connects. And what it is, is like if you looked at the vehicle from the top, and the vehicle's going in a 360-degree circle. Mm-hmm. The inside tire in the circle has to turn sharper than the outside tire. Oh, it's got to be... Because the radius a... is of the circle. Right, right. Yeah. So when you narrow a beam, that throws your Ackerman angle off. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't understand that. But it, it's off because now all of a sudden your spindle... It, everything is in two inches further than it was designed to be. No, it makes so sense. when I read... Yeah, so when I redesigned mine, I compensated for that and adjusted it for, I mean, so now my Ackerman angle with a four-inch beam and a standard bus is all perfect, exactly like it was from the factory, same angles. Oh, nice. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky, complicated thing that I learned from rock curling um, that I just applied to this. Well, no, it makes sense, especially, it's not as noticeable, right, if you're running a, you know, four and a half inch fuke on the front with a 135 tire, it's not going to be that noticeable because your tire is just going to push. But when you're running, when you're running 35 inch tires and you're trying to make a a, a U-turn and you're already with like a live axle or whatever, it's going to be fighting itself and it's going to really put a lot of torsional bind on that suspension. I think if you're, if you're in a rock crawler, so that's where it's usually noticeable, but 
notwithstanding that, it'll make a difference in making a U-turn. And as far as the, the feel of the steering, I would think, you know? Yes. And yep. Yeah. It makes a difference. Uh, slow speed more than high speed. So a lot of times like in parking lots and stuff, you notice it, but it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to push. It doesn't want to get like little chattery feeling across the ground. Cause one tire is trying to skip and the other one is right. So yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, I'm sitting at the computer designing this thing and I, I can put the hole in where I want. So I might as well make it correct for what it needs to be. No, that's uh, I mean, and that, and, and this is the reason that I do the show so that we can get in depth into kind of the extra engineering that goes into different things so that people know what they're looking for. I mean, I know when I saw right. your spindle, right? So, so I'm old school. I'm not opposed yep. to, I'm not opposed at all to suspension stuff. And I've been, you know, in the VW thing for, you know, over 25 years. And my first bus is, is the, uh, you know, that bull run bus. And I've got stock link pin 67 spindles that have been, uh, flipped. Uh, yep. and then I've got, um, on that, I've got the 944 brake set up. You know, me, when I was building that bus, I was, you know, new family and all this stuff. And I don't want to say on a budget, but I was, you know, I'm a VW guy trying to be a little bit on the cheap. And I noticed when I looked at your spindles, I was like, holy crap, man, this freaking dude has got some beefy, beefy spindles. I mean, it's like, it's (laughs) like, it looks like almost, what is it? Half inch plate or is it uh, three three quarter? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's freaking beefy, man. I looked at that. And I was just kind of like, and that's when I started hitting you with questions when we were at the show. And I'm like, bro, what's with it? That, I mean, that's a heavy duty spindle. But in the same respect, when you're looking at it from the engineering side of, like you said, if you plan to take your bus on a road trip and heaven forbid something happens, you run over deer, something gets shoved in your wheel, who knows? You break a Willwood caliper that's specifically made that you can only buy at one location like you're not getting this thing back on the road. You know what right. I mean? And then where you have this, which is you had to come in with the adaptability, but I, I kind of like the uh, the whole complete hub assembly is pretty slick, you know? Yeah, it, it's easy. And, and like we learned that rock crawling when we break a front axle out rock crawling at our competitions we used to do. The guy next to you breaks a front axle. He's got wheel bearings, everything else in there. You drop one in the dirt inevitably. Uh, and then us over here with our, we were the first ones to run the Super Duty up stuff. We can pull a front axle and put a new one back on with a hub assembly, everything, all done, everything in about 15 minutes. And the guy over there is still trying to clean all the dirt off of his bearing drop. Yeah. Seal, everything done. I mean, they last for 100,000 miles on the front end of a Super Duty with 32-inch tires on it. I mean, underneath a bus, there's... There's nothing for weight up there. Right, should last. Compared to a three-quarter ton truck, that kind of thing. Well, and, well. I, and I have a three-quarter ton, and on my three-quarter ton, so on my last, do- my last Dodge that I had, I had uh, like a nine-inch lift on it, and it was a 2006 and diesel. And when I was talking to my buddy, he goes, yeah, they made these stupid single one-piece things where you can't grease them or anything, and when you put these – heavy lifts on them with these big, cause I think I was running 37s on it. He's like, you just got to swap the whole assembly cause you can't get parts for it. It's just a single piece. And yep. from, from the standpoint of like lifting and big wheels and tires and stuff like that, the maintenance, the maintenance uh, aspect of it works against you when you're going huge tires, huge pinion angles, a lot of yeah. stress in the suspension. But then when you reverse it and you take something that's built for a one ton vehicle and you put it on, you know, 22, 2,500 pound bus, 
it's like it, it, the thing will never wear out. Yeah, know? right. I mean, you're super duty with giant tires. You're outside of the engineer, what it was engineered for. Right. And in this world, we're going the opposite. We're going way overkill from what it was engineered for. So, yeah, yeah it's just a simple, like, same thing with the ball joint, the link bin versus the ball joint thing. It's it's evolution. I mean, there isn't a car made that doesn't have a hub assembly on it anymore. There yeah. isn't. I mean, there's no there's no such thing as packable wheel bearings anymore. Yeah. Everything's got everything's gone to an assembly type setup, right? Like a hub yep. assembly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's, I, I would I would guess half of the newer mechanics at any shop anywhere in the country probably don't know how to pack wheel bearings anymore. So I mean, they're just not necessary anymore when in their normal day to day work. Old VW guys and old truck guys need it, but in normal. Hyundai repair work, nobody needs to pack a wheel bearing anymore. Yeah, there's like, I need a whole other assembly. It's like one bolt, the whole thing comes off, one bolt that goes back on. So these are yeah. pre greased from the factory and internally sealed and yep. don't require any maintenance. Correct. Wow, that's crazy. That's nuts, man. And so yeah. you go and you've got this whole thing put together. And so now your whole beam, this easy, I'm on, I'm on your website, you're your type E easy ride hybrid spindle beam setup, complete rotor to rotor is twenty nine ninety five and that's and that beam will bolt in directly. There are no other parts that you need for that thing to bolt it into a car. The only thing you would need to do, like if you wanted to put one into the your carbon cap, mm-hmm. I'd send you this beam, you take your beam out, you gotta take your steering arm off, your center steer the L shaped steering arm. Mm-hmm. Take that off flip it onto the hybrid and then put the whole thing into your bus. And that's it. That's because I don't have core of the, of the steering arms. Right. They're kind of hard to find and they are split window. I'm working on that. That's another project down the line. But as of right now, that's the only thing you just got to steal your arm off of your current beam and put it on the new beam. Other and, than that, it's tie rods, brake hoses, everything. And now you sell these, you remachine these for different lug patterns. Yes. I have it's, it's based on Chevy because that's what the 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 hub assembly comes, mm-hmm. and then I have a, a five on two hundred five adapter that goes on, or I can redrill that pattern for a Porsche pattern. Um, that's really the only three that anybody have ever wanted. But I mean, if some guy wanted a bay window pattern, I could do that, or a Ford pattern, I could do that. Um, yeah, but it, it's super easy, super simple. And with these, with this setup that you do here. Um... Is it, so I'm assuming it's narrowed? Yeah, four inches narrowed. Yeah, and I, I've, it's kind of the standard width, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it works for most everything. I, it works perfectly with the stock wheels when I put the adapter on there. That's like I have on the shorty right now is that, is that exact same beam set up with the 205 adapters on it. Um, and it puts the uh, stock wheel in the perfect position inside the wheel where it's not hitting that little tiny bump out right under the dog leg. Right. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like the the universal width, I guess. And it, if need be, we could put a. Uh, I mean, if somebody wanted a two inch narrowed beam, we can put a one inch adapter spacer on there too. So. And now the spindle itself is designed to have a drop in it. So it's got a three and a half inch drop built into the spindle. Correct. Nice. So it's already dropped, and then it's it comes fully adjustable with the yeah. three and a half inch. Yeah, yeah. So that my blue bay window, I have one in there. That was the first one I built. Was the hybrid for the blue and white bay window. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that just because that's what I had at the time was a bay window. Um, it's been I think I've got fifteen thousand miles on it in two years now. We go road tripping. We take the load up the family. I got three kids. We take 
Um, we went to down to Mesa Verde last summer, and then we went over to Yellowstone this summer. So we go on, try and go on about a 2,000-mile road trip every summer with it. Nice. And, and then drive, beat it around everywhere we go here, soccer practices, everything. But yeah, that, it's 15,000 miles in two years on that thing. Shorty has one. So let me let me ask this question. If So since you've got, it's a Chevrolet uh, brake caliper on there, if you wanted to, let's say, get a Willwood one, you would just order it for like, a 95 Camaro or whatever, and they would send you and it would bolt right on? No, because, uh, like, your Willwood is, is its own bolt pattern. Oh, is so, it? Like, like a Dynalite, yeah, the typical four-piston Dynalite Willwood uh-huh. is a little bit different. So, and I'm, I've got brackets for those. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything with them yet, but I have them laser-cutting on the shelf. I haven't bothered mocking them up because everybody's just wanted the, the big, giant calipers that's on there off the Chevy. And now so, on, on these Chevy ones, can you get a four-pot Chevy caliper off a Corvette or something that would work or no? Yeah, you probably could. I just went with that one because, well, on the spindle, that dual piston, the way it's set up, works good. Those calipers um, from, I think, Rock Auto, uh-huh. they're about 45 bucks a piece, and they are gigantic. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, bigger than any Volkswagen caliper you ever. I mean, I, listen, I'm just speaking from the ridiculous standpoint. You know, I've got the yeah. on, on my carbon cab. I've got the 944 turbo brake set up, and I think all in out of pocket. And I and I had got the calipers for free, but by the time I bought the rotors, and I mean, I might have been fifteen hundred bucks in adapting those brakes to work. Yeah, you know, with custom machined pieces and all that kind of stuff, but. You know, and what I like is the Gucci look of the big four-pot caliper on there. It looks fantastic, but shoot, I guess you put big, nice red paint on these things, and they'll it's, look uh, yeah, they'll look good enough. Customers do it. Yep, they paint them up red, and everything's cool. Yeah, but same, but I mean, it's same like kind of deal. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, no matter what, as soon as you go disc brakes on the front, I mean, the, the the bay window bus didn't even have vented front brakes. You know, what I mean, it was a solid disc front yeah. brake. So these huge vented ten-inch rotors are going to be literally overkill you know uh, i i swear my my bay window which is heavy i've got a 2332 in it and i i'm way hard on it and i swear that bus will stop better than my wife's honda pilot yeah it's yeah it's you it'll stop right now if you want it to well i like the look of the bus i like now, now your bay window that you have where you got the suspension under did you find that in uh south dakota over there oh uh, my my, uh, I think he was nine then. My nine-year-old found it. Um, he was out camping with my dad, and they they were in Wyoming over in the Bighorn Mountains. And he, they were just driving down this little teeny tiny town of 600. And he said, "There's a bus," and they backed up and they went down there. And my dad's a car guy, and uh, he, they went to the door and left a note on the guy's door, and the guy called me back, and we ended up bringing it home. So it had a had an engine fire. The guy drove it for I think he said 13 years. And it had an engine fire, and it sat for another ten years or so after that. So, and that, yeah, it's it's super rusty. It was cheap. It's my favorite color combo. Yeah. So, well, we, yeah, I just buffed it all, cleaned it up, rewired the back, did all the suspension, and we drive the thing. And you got Chevy bolt pattern on that. Yeah. It looks cool, man. I like the I like the uh, the five spoke torque thrust look on. I mean, it's just got a. I like. I'm a guy that likes different, you know what I mean? And I like that it's yeah. got a, it's got a different look. It's a little bit of a hot rod flair to it with the with the uh the torque thrust on there, but I dig it, man. I think it's got a real real cool look to it. And uh yeah, thanks. The more I that's see what, lo- that's what I grew up with when it, I was a kid was torque thrust on everything. Yeah. So. 
I got yeah, a buddy I just that's, remember him when I was a kid. I got a buddy that's what he does. No matter what car he's got, it gets torque thrust on it. <laughs> yeah, I've got a I've got a red sixty five bug. Yeah. A, a cool little patina bug that's all stock right now and it's I keep swearing I'm gonna put the torque thrust on that thing just to see. Now um, Yeah, I, I they're a hundred bucks a piece at Summit. You can't go wrong. I mean <laughs> they're easy. That's sometimes the the thing that we forget is as like VW guys, when we when we're stuck on planet VW and we're not looking anywhere else. Once we look at a catalog for like a Chevy, we're like, "Oh man, how cheap is that stuff?" Because they make so many of them and they're so widely available. Oh, exactly. But it's like, yeah, you know, your standpoint was like, "Well, shoot, if you go to Chevy Bolt Pattern, you just opened up your wheel selection to to a thousand different wheels." You know, exactly. And that's most of the reason I went with that Chevy Pattern was because it's the standard. <laughs> aftermarket wheel i mean you have thousands of selection now it's a five on five or five on four and three quarter four and three quarter oh okay yeah i mean it's listen uh you can fit a bmw wheel on that lug pattern (laughs) yeah yeah and it's and it's there you don't have to do any adapters you don't have to drill anything that's just it's just that's it it's easy and and Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, with the BMW wheels, if you're trying to do a Euro-style look with your Volkswagen, man, you just opened up your possibility to just a truckload of wheels just on the BMW side, let alone if you look at the Chevy side. Because I, I fool around a little bit with a, a Corvair that I've got, and I scored some Ronals, some 16-inch old-school Ronals, and uh, you know it's kind of a five-star, like a Penta style is what they call it. And I slapped those on the Corvair. Changes the whole look. It's like a it's like a Euro style, you know, yeah. car. But I, 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 you know, I've always been different. I like different. But I think, you know, because it's five and four and three quarter, I have another Corvair. You know, you can't ever just have one of anything. So I have another Corvair in my backyard. I went and bought some seventeen inch BBS uh, BBS E forty three wheels or whatever they were, whatever the BMW model is. They come off of, but. They're 17 inch. I got a lip, a three piece, and paid 500 bucks for them and slapped them on this Corvair, and it looks totally cool. But it's like you just have so many different wheel options. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's that's that, a pretty slick way to go. It kind of goes with the same thing I did with the disc brake kit, um, the easy stop split window disc brake kit. I I, I wanted something that was going to work easy, um, and be very adjustable for. I, I mean, uh, yeah. Talk to me about the e- t- talk to me about this easy stop disc brake kit. I see. So I'm looking at it. My impression looking at it is it's it's a caliper bracket and it's a f- five lug adapter and it has bearings, bolts, and there's no. Now I'm gonna freak some people out here. There's no brakes, rotors, or uh, calipers with this thing, but there are some brake hoses. So for yeah, so but it, but it's 495 bucks which is pretty cheap and so with this kit I'm able I'm guessing looking at your website I'm able to take these pieces that you've sent me and then go buy the rest of the pieces at your average auto parts store and have a brand new disc brake kit for my bus Exactly and that's what I wanted to do because shipping rotors and calipers really sucks cuz it's really heavy mm-hmm. and I designed it that set up to use a 1985 Camaro caliper uh, rotor, which also went on like the same year Caprices, S10 trucks. I mean, there's millions of these trucks that these, this exact same rotor went on. And you go on Rock Auto if you want. The rotors are 25 bucks a piece. 
the caliper is off of another car. Um, everything, all the part numbers, everything are listed on the website. Uh, the caliper was on like a Montana minivan, Grand Prix, all those mid-sized Chevys throughout the 90s, millions of those. So I designed everything around these parts that were super easy to get. I made sure it fit inside of a 15-inch stock bus steel wheel early and late and the 14. So it works with all bus stock steel wheels. I send you all these parts that come in a USPS flat rate box. So shipping is $13. Nice. And it has everything you need. So you go get my parts, go to your parts store or order them off Rock Auto with the part numbers that I included in the online instructions there. Buy your rotors, buy your calipers, go bolt the whole thing on. Most guys are done for about 650 to 700 bucks total with everything. That's cheap. And yeah, and it, they work amazing. I mean, because it, they're, all the parts are built to stop, uh, to stop a Caprice Classic. Yeah. So it's just sturdy stuff. And then it's the same exact thing as the hybrid front end. If you trash a caliper in the middle of Kansas, you run over to Napa, and it's the same parts that they have on the shelf because millions of those cars use them. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's just easy. That's, that's all I was after was it comes from the rock crawling world. I, it's like hot rodding. You go to the junkyard. You find some parts off something else that might work on your car. You make it work for as cheap as possible. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did. Find uh, whatever I can make that'll work, work good, be easily available, and be inexpensive. Now, do you make any of this any of the stuff for bugs? And there's a ton of that stuff available. I went with the bus because there isn't a lot available. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's just brake kits out there, but it's not like bug where bug is. There's so they've been doing it for so long. Right. It's hard to make any improvements. Yeah. I mean, a, a four-piston Willwood caliper is totally unnecessary on the front of a bug, but it's really cool. Yeah, it does look so cool. Like a, a Kia caliper works amazingly well on the front end of a bug, and they're tiny, and they they, they work and they're cheap. So yeah, I I have Willwoods to go on the front of bugs, and I have put them on. I have brackets for it, but it's totally unnecessary. And there's other guys that already do it, so I figured I'd just go with the bus stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking at this because I'm getting ready to do. <laughs> I've got that red chop bug that I've got, and I've been driving that around. And that, I mean, the car was built in 1984, and it still has four wheel drum brakes, and it's got original BRMs on it. And they they tuck underneath the fender because it's got 135s. Well, I'd like to put a little bit wider tire in the front, so I'm, I'm going to put a narrowed beam on it, and then I, I was I need to go wide five disc brake on the front because it's got a 2332 in it, and it's it's always a little sketchy when you got drum brakes in the front, you know. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was only uh, asking for selfish reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's there is no really good way to do a bug wide five with willwood without a bunch of messing around kind of thing yeah i mean getting into custom spindles and a bunch of other stuff it, it gets kind of weird so yeah i don't know i haven't got into it yet it's on the, the list of things to do but that list is like four feet long sure sure different projects i want to do now so, um yeah. jumping over to your type one stuff uh you've got the type one so you've got two different ways to drive to drop your beetle over here. Um, you've got your step, your two inch dropped adjustable spring plates, yep. and you've got your uh, drop plates. Now, talk to me yeah. about the difference between the two. 
the drop plates were what I did a long time ago, and I think those originated with Russ um, at Old Speed. Mm-hmm. And I saw those. Those were like the first thing I saw when I got my first bug. And I saw those, and I went, oh, wow, that's super simple. That's just like putting a lowering block in the back of your mini truck. Right. And and it, it's three-eighths plate, and I, I mean, I had the drawing done in five minutes. I emailed it off, and I had these plates here for super cheap. So that's how I did my first car. Um, they are as cheap as it gets. It doesn't affect the ride. It doesn't affect the, the weight capacity. The only bummer part is you got to saw all the stock shock mount off. Um, but when I was starting in VWs, I was just fine. I didn't mind cutting a bunch of stuff up. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it, they're super easy and it keeps the, the rear toe in is correct. Everything is, is correct. It just takes that swing axle and it moves it up two and a half inches. Everything else is good. Well, and so, I, I think as the, as the, the VW enthusiast has gotten older, like we're all, I, I'm a, I'm 48. I'm assuming you're in that age range somewhere. Um, 41. Yeah. Well, you're not far. Don't worry, bro. 48 comes quick. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I think the older we get, you know, when you first had your bug, it was like pop off the spring plate, relocate it, take all the, t- take all the spring out of the torsion and boom, it slammed. And then the more, the, the VW enthusiast has become more sophisticated. It's like we see the value in, you know, to the, to the, if you talk to the us of 20 years ago and said, well, Hey, why don't you just take all the preload out of there and slam the crap out of it versus like, Hey, put the spring plate in, you'll still have all the correct torsion pressure, but your, you know, your tile, your tires up higher inside the car. I mean, it's, it's funny because as we go away from the the factory stuff, we try to get it back as close to factory with the adjusted height, you know? Right. So. Yep. Yeah, I got to keep it riding nice. Everything's got to work just fine. You just got to sit lower. That's it. And then the step spring plate, the, the, the two-inch adjustable spring plate. So that's a factory two-inch drop, and then you still have the additional adjustability for, like, fine-tuning. For fine-tuning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're they're extended to get rid of the toe the rear toe also, so and they're, I mean, uh, uh, adjustable spring plates are super handy. Everybody's yeah. gone through the wanting it a half inch lower, takes a couple hours just to go one notch just to find out you didn't get it right, that yeah. kind of thing. And then your buddy the your buddy jumped a tooth and the car sitting lopsided and you're just wanting to kill him. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And then and you, you're procrastinating doing it all over again. So. Yeah, the adjustable thing is just super handy, and then the drop in the spring plate keeps all your – you're never going to get rid of the camber, of course, but it does keep the toe in correct. You don't have to cut the shock mount off, and it's just this easy-to-do, nice solution. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty slick. I mean, I, 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 like, I like the way that uh, you know the, the whole thing comes together, and they, they seem pretty inexpensive at 225 bucks. I mean sure. – Yeah, and those I, – I know – when I first started doing them, I used uh, their um, the center section with the splines is all just an aftermarket part for an aftermarket adjustable spring plate. And I take that piece and use it. I buy the adjustable spring plates and use it, ditch the other half and make my own new half with the drop in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to sell them without cores because most guys would build them and need a stock set of spring plates as cores to cut up. So these, I found that they're they're Chinese ones, but they're actually good quality and they fit and they work just fine. So I use that spline section, put my own stuff on the other end of it. So the spline section is the hard part, but that's now provided. So I'm able to sell them pretty cheap with no cores. And 
I do the inside tube because most aftermarket spring plates will not fit a stock inner spring plate bushing. They're too big, the tube is. So you have to get an aftermarket urethane bushing. Oh, God. So on, on, yeah, so on mine, I made sure all my tubing sizes are correct, everything's good to go, so you can use your stock inner bushings. Nice. No urethane. Nice. And so, yeah. th- so, so this, and, and now is this what you're doing full time now? The whole thing with type E motorsports, is that your full time thing is it keeping you busy enough? It's not busy enough. I'm still, it's still a side hustle. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I still work a normal job. Um, put a lot of hours in weekends, evenings, that kind of thing, building beams, that kind of stuff. I'm still able to get, if you sent a email or, uh, ordered online if you order me a order a beam from me on friday i can usually get shipped out by monday tuesday that kind of thing nice so yeah i get them shipped out within two or three days just because it's so easy to put them together so yeah and you're you're building these you're building these to order or you are you doing usually stock out a couple beams so you have them ready to go it kind of depends on uh, what time i got to be back home that kind of thing right um how much time i have if i've got a little extra time i'll put two or three beams together at once um, otherwise I just, uh, do them one at a time. So they're, they're kind of standard enough where I could, if I sat down for a weekend, I could, I could get a whole shelf load of them done. Yeah. The bus, the bus beam I'm pretty impressed with because I mean, for the price of three grand for like pretty much a turnkey front beam that's got, that's ready to go with brakes and all that stuff seems pretty, seems like a pretty good value there. You know, I'm looking at the, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to do. I mean, VW guys are inherently cheap. Right. So I'm trying to keep it inexpensive, but still good, easy to work with. Yeah. So I mean, I I thought it was crazy paying five grand for a beam. That's why I went and built my own kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm trying to trying to make it affordable for most guys. I'm I'm not trying to make a killing. Sure. I just want to make it affordable, easy, and I figure if I can make something really good and affordable, I'll sell more of them. Yeah. So, now talk to me about your your the the. Because I've been contemplating with the idea of, you know, the, the Bull Run bus is now going through like a makeover, and we did a roof section in it, and I'm going to be redoing the interior, and then my wheels start turning about, well, maybe I should do something with the front suspension, maybe I should do something with the suspension all the way around, and then I was like, oh, I should go air, maybe I should do, because there's a Demon Motorsports who's doing a hydraulic setup, and I'm like, yep. uh, maybe, you know, and I keep going back and forth. But I've always thought, like, no matter what I do, I keep thinking, man, I really would like to make the bus IRS in the rear. Now, talk to me about your IRS setup. Where where, where did this idea come from? I mean, in, in respect, to, have you irs your own bus? I did. Um, one of my good buddies here in town, he, he moved away last year. He built a bus and decided to go um, IRS on it. And cool lowered patina bus. Also a rock crawler buddy, fabricator guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I are laying underneath his bus looking at all these options, and we're doing looking over the Samba trying to figure out how to work this. Neither of us are like hardcore VW guys. This is eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're laying under there looking at all this stuff, and we end up narrowing the torsion. He did most of all the work. We, I mean, we're just trying to bounce ideas off each other. But he ended up with narrowed torsion, all bug stuff. And it worked out really good. It, I mean, he did a good job on it and everything but i was kind of looking at all the the hiccups i mean all the little things that were still an issue and like the arm comes up and it wants to hit that big u-shaped cross number under there right so i started thinking about all these little things like well what if i 
made this bolt-on bracket that went on nice and easy on the torsion housing, no cutting up the, the frame fork. And then I made the arm with a jog in it, so you didn't have to notch the arm or you didn't have to notch that torsion anymore. And then make a hub with a drop in it, so it's lowered already without getting any extra camber in there. And then it, it was like six or eight shortcomings of an IRS swap in a bus, and I tried to fix them and make a whole kit out of it that's easy. So and it it's definitely easy. It works good. It's a super simple bolt-on deal, no cutting, no nothing, and then it's narrowed so you can use stock with bug CVs without narrowing the torsion housing. And I can make them adjustable if you want. If you have some crazy wheel on there that mm -hmm. needs a ridiculous offset, I can custom build a hub the way I slide it in the fixture before I weld it. Oh, nice. So you could actually adjust the, the rear wheel offset, center line on the rear wheel. Yeah, and I mean, I have some different custom length axle shaft options. So, I mean, if, if you've got some super crazy off-the-wall wheel, I'll send you an IRS kit. You put the standard hub on there, pull up your wheel and say, oh, man, this would be perfect if it was three-quarters of an inch further offset. And I'll just build a new set that's three-quarters of an inch offset, mail them to you, and mail them back the other ones. So it's the, the way I have it set up right now, it works for... 75% of the wheels that are pretty standard to the VW guys. But if you do have some crazy weird thing, there are some options. And there are most other IRS conversion sets or it, when they just make the adapters and you go take off bugs, stock trailing arms, all that stuff, those all hit that U, that U channel support? It depends on how low you want to go. But right. yeah, if you want to be pretty low, they're going to hit that. They're going to get cambered weird. It, yeah, and there's a lot of little issues that start getting involved in there. So yeah, and it, it want, yeah they want to hit the cross member. Um, the width isn't really adjustable. You're you're kind of limited because of the the torsion arm is all one piece. Mine is multiple piece where there are options available. And now this uh, the disc brake that's on the rear is that just a just like a off the shelf VW rear disc brake kit? Yeah, yeah, I, I did it all so that you can order because there's so many guys need so many different setups. Some guys mm -hmm. want drums, which will work just fine. You can use a Type 1 drum, a Type 3 drum setup, or you can get a Type 1 rear disc brake kit with that caliper. I have the brackets are welded on, so you basically steal your rotor and your caliper out of that Type 1 disc brake kit, and you're good to go. Nice. So the brackets, so this comes with integrated brackets for calipers on it. Correct. And you can still. If you want to run drums, I weld those brackets on all of them. Mm -hmm. If you want to run drums, you just run drums, and that caliper's just hanging out there for people to ask you what it's for kind of thing, I guess. Nice. But, yeah, they're, they're on there for your future upgrade if you want. Yeah. No, that's uh, – that's. I mean, you got you've got, you have a lot of stuff going on here on your website, and it seems to be like a pretty wide variety of, you know, different suspension options that you can go with. And the key component, I think, is everything looks pretty dang affordable. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. Like, um, yeah, it, it, once it gets crazy out of line prices, it's, you start running people away. People need to be able to afford stuff. Yeah, no, I dig it, man. I mean, it's uh, there's a, a lot of cool stuff that uh, that that you're offering, and a lot of thought. You know, the the big thing for me was the way that you decided to use the the sealed hub setups for General Motors. That's anything that's off the shelf that you can just get just about anywhere. And, you know, I think from a maintenance standpoint, I mean, I think that's huge, you know, especially if the yeah. parts have to be replaced because, you know, when you order brakes for, if I order a quote unquote disc brake kit for my Corvair, 
it it's brackets from Scarebird. They show up and it's like, go to the store and buy 82 Chevy, you know, Camaro rotor and uh, Cadillac Eldorado brake hose and of this. And like they build it to where you just go to the store, you buy your off the shelf parts and they just basically make the bracket. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy. Yeah. It, it just keeps it keeps it more affordable and let, you know, someone's a lot easier to spend 200 bucks than they are to spend a thousand, you know, for sure. Yeah. So no, I, I dig it. So anything, anything else new that you have planned coming up or, uh, you got anything in the works? Um, I've, I love building the engines, but I kind of quit doing it. <laughs> I need to quit doing it because the suspension is, uh, easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I really, really love. Is I, I, I got a flow bench. I got the full machine shop. Everything where I can do. I build a lot of heads. I love doing cylinder heads. I love building engines. But there, there's no money there. You can't do it. I mean, I, it takes me a, a month of evenings to correctly put an engine together. Right. Um, and a beam. I mean, I can. A guy orders a beam. I weld it up that evening and send it out the door. There's nothing to it. So, it's kind of a bummer. But it, it's. I don't mind doing the suspension at all, and I love designing it. So, uh, upcoming things. Uh, I've got bug rear suspension stuff that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, that's about the, all the bug. I'm going to try and do some other uh, bus kind of stuff. I, I want to do a stock height IRS, which I have right now, and I have a couple guys that are running them. I'm not 100% sure, or I'm not 100% happy with the way everything is dialed in, shock mounts, which are the hardest part of the entire IRS setup. Um yeah, so I want to do a stock height IRS swap. A lot of guys seem to want that. Little things here and there. Um, uh, bus engines, I guess. That's my another big thing I'm doing. I'm trying to put together a perfect, easy bus combo. Yeah. Um, for Tur- for a dude that just wants to get on the road and cruise, not high performance, no nothing. Just a, it's going to be a super solid 2180. Um, yeah, not a screamer, but a get on the road and drive and not have to worry about the thing running hot, anything. Yeah. That's the thing with, you know, with buses is, you know, you really want, you want torque and you want reliability, you know? Yeah. Those are yeah. The, the, really the two key components uh, from my experience with buses that. Yeah. You, and cool running. Yeah. You, I mean, you get a lot of, you, you put a lot of people inside buses that adds a lot of weight. So you need the torque to pull it. The bus is big to begin with. So. Oh Yeah. I think uh, now, these guys make a big deal out of building a 12 second bug engine. And I, I think it's way harder to build a bus engine that'll run across the country doing 7580 than it is to build a 12 second bug engine. Well, yeah, you know, we get, we get a little bit spoiled based on, um, you know, based on what we're used to today, as far as cars that we get with their, you know, ease to ease of achievement of over a hundred thousand miles, you know, and we just get yeah. kind of spoiled where we just abuse the crap out of them. And then we get our, you know, we just take advantage of, 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 or take for granted our, our old vehicles and we hold them in our head, I think to modern day car standards. And, yep. uh, you know, you can get them there. You just got to put the work in on the front end, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now it takes a lot to, uh, to build a bus to reliably do 75 down the interstate anywhere in the country is pretty hard to do. It's, yeah. It's yeah. And once let's where my bay windows at finally. I mean, I can, the entire way across Wyoming from Yellowstone back this summer, it was 7580 the entire way. And it'll do it. It rides awesome. It's low. It rides awesome. I'm not worried about stopping it. And the engine I know is up to par. I mean, it's, it's got power to climb hills and it runs cool. So I'm, I'm kind of 
I have the experience with the bay window. I'm kind of like going backwards a little bit to build the same thing available for split window guys. So I'm going to do this, this similar engine, great big engine that's real mild, that'll work perfect, and a suspension to back it all up. Yeah. No, I mean, it really, that's what you need. You find yourself an old patinaed car out in the field somewhere and you want to get that dude on the road. It's like once you get the drivetrain situated, then you just get that, get you know, get the motor dialed in and, and you're good to go. You know, now it looks good yeah. just because of the stance and you got the power to push a thing reliably anywhere i mean that's why i do type fours i'm just a type four guy you know i do the type yep. fours in my buses but i love it i love the the torque the reliability and you know oh for sure yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm a big type four fan as well i've got a a big plan for a big type four coming up i've got a uh it's in washington right now getting all the metal work done i've got a 13 window that we're building it was uh tipped on its side in a snow drift up here and it didn't break any of the windows but it messed the roof up really bad yeah so it's in washington getting metal work done right now um and we're putting a roof clip in it with a rag top and windows so it'll be a clone 21 window um ultimate road trip bus all the suspension big type four that kind of stuff well what's crazy is a let's say a big 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 air-cooled motor you could go with a a 2300 with some slip in pistons it's like everything is stock german bottom end and you just put in some you know 95 millimeter pistons and you're good to go you know what i mean like yeah. you're running a 2270 yep. cc motor but it's the equivalent to a 1641 on the type one side you know so you just yeah. you've got the bottom end to work and, and the key is like what you're talking about earlier the key is heads you know, and it's like, yeah, where do you get the good heads and to get the good heads that are able to, you know, I saw one of your posts on Instagram recently where you had some out of the box, brand new heads that you had to take a file to and get rid of some high ridges because, you know, although it's a brand new machined head, that little high ridge makes a big difference, you know, in flow Oh, for sure. And, yeah. and, and, and so people understand the difference of flow that are listening. This is the core difference of flow. LS versus Chevy 350. That's it. It's like, everybody's like, why is the LS motor so great? It's all in the head design of the LS motor where, yep. I mean, the bottom end of that motor is basically the same. The biggest difference, you know, because, you know, I was trying to figure out what the difference was with the LSs and I went on um, a guy's website, builds he builds 2,000 horsepower motors and all this stuff. But he said the biggest difference is the head design. When, when they, you know, to put things in perspective, the, the LS head flow design, the stock LS head flow is the same as a Chevy 350 small block head NASCAR. So like yeah. the technology that they would put into a, a small block Chevy 350 head, the all the working they could put in that, the flow they got from that is what the stock flow is on an LS head. You know. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I I got a flow bench, and I've always been an engine, of course, but I, I got the flow bench, and it really big eye opener, big eye opener. And then especially building engines, and then running them, and driving them, that kind of thing. And then you really start putting it all together. Like this one works this much better, and it had these couple different parts in it, or I changed this over. Yeah, heads are a huge deal, way bigger than most people expect. And even in like the V8 world, the cylinder head world. I mean, all the advancements in the last 10 years are huge. And the VW world is still 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, 
CB is really coming along with all their new stuff. Pretty amazing stuff that they've got the last few years. But the the cylinder head world in general from VW stuff is way behind. No, it's I mean, and it and hopefully we get uh, you know people start looking into that. And 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 the I think the part of the challenge is that the people that are manufacturing heads are doing what they can, and then no one's ever. <laughs> You go back to that same circle of, of conversation, you know, when I had Stefan Rossi on the podcast and he talks about, you know, when you're building V8s, man, it's like, what are your, which one of the three motors do you want? This, this, or this yeah. with VWs. It's like, it's, it's so interesting that there's just this crazy variety of like the CB, I think has five or six different head designs. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's insane. It's like, well, what do you want? You want stock with a mild port you want a d port you want the cnc port you want the 4035 you want the 4437s like yep it's just that's a, where the vw guys get into problems that's where they run into trouble because they have there are so many options out there and you start trying to put something together but you don't know yeah and that's where things go wrong and these guys go oh well these heads i heard on this guy's engine are really cool but i can't afford to put the big crank in like he had but i want this great big cam down here at the bottom of the page and they put it all together, and they end up with something kind of screwy that doesn't last. Right. But, yeah, it's that's why I've been trying to develop this perfect bus combo, because it's so important to have everything working correctly together. Heads and cam and compression, it's all got to work together. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a weird deal, and it's, like I said, it. I think the VW world is a ways behind. The other engine building, in like Honda and V8 stuff, is insane with the, the technology that's going into those. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that's been overlooked, and I, I think it's driven by the consumer versus the suppliers. Need to say, yeah. you know, why are we making six different products li- product lines? Let's make three. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and the and the, the I don't know if the consumers aren't demanding more. Or if it's just becoming so expensive, because there are some incredible heads, like JPM in Sweden makes the most amazing heads on the planet. Yeah. But they're like three grand. So <laughs> I think they're yeah, more than that. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and they are the uh, probably the coolest heads on the planet. But you got to pay for them, and that, most guys aren't going to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, you still got to keep it down to earth. And that's, like, that's kind of why I quit building the engine stuff, because you can't charge what you have to. So, I mean, it, I, if I'm going to build a set of 35-millimeter heads for a, a dude with a bus for the 1776, it doesn't need big valve heads. It needs really good small valve heads. Right. But I have to charge 850 bucks for them. And a customer is going to go, well, these ones here in the magazine are 350 a pair. Why do I need yours that are 850 a pair? Yeah, that's that, that's that's the the adage from all the VW guys. Like, well, it's in the catalog for. I'm going to come into your shop. I'm going to soak up all your time and every and, and just just ear rape you for an hour, and then I'm going to go and buy them off the internet and then complain when I don't get the performance I was looking for out of them. You know, it's the joke. That's that, the- it's the joke I always yeah. have with the engine builders. Like the guy goes, okay, what can I get that's going to get 300 horsepower and I can daily drive it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. you, you got to figure yeah. out what you want. Which way do you, <laughs> which way do you want to go? And that, That's why I did that post on Instagram a while back about with the putting a round file in your brand new off-the-shelf 35-millimeter head just so I could show some people that you shouldn't slap this head you just bought for super cheap out of the catalog. You shouldn't just slap it on your engine. It'll be so much better if you just spend a little bit of time with it and, and fix a couple things. 
Yeah. And that, that's why I did that. And, and and as I've had engine builders on here on the podcast before, that's what they talk about. They just talk about the time and effort it takes to get these things right where, you know, when you're ordering stuff for LSs, it's done out of the box, like a minor check yep. this, check that and bolt it on, you know, in the v- yeah. and in the VW world, I think the tolerances are, are just too sloppy still. You know what I mean? Like they're okay yeah. with everything being, you know, whatever way it's going to be. Yeah, so. like I've chatted back and forth with Stefan from Ace, mm-hmm. and uh, like he always shows his his center main bearing issue, and it's the exact same thing I have because we both have to use the same parts. Yeah, and he he shows a picture of of thirty sets of main bearings, all with like a couple tenths difference, sitting on his bench, and that's what you have to do. But the normal guy that that's trying to slap together his engine is not going to buy thirty sets of main bearings to try and find the one set that works for him. Right. But that's, that's, that's what it is. I mean, you can't, you have to. I, I, when I build engines, it's the same thing. I'll go through three or four sets until I find one that's even close. Yeah, and I think, I think last I checked, I think CB was coming out with a new bearing set that they were manu- having manufactured. And so, I mean, maybe uh, maybe somebody's coming to the rescue with that. Who knows? Hopefully. Uh, I'm sure we'll get them. I'm sure we'll get them all uh, on the podcast. But uh, yeah. as they're doing that. Like because. My- it's got to cost them time too. You know what I mean? Like the inconsistency oh, yeah. in the, in the product you're getting. Yeah. But the, like the Chevy guys, they all have bearings in thousand increments plus and minus. Right. So it doesn't matter for them. I mean, they, they'll just measure something to walk over and grab the one off the shelf. That's an extra one and a half thousand larger, throw it in. Everything's good, but we don't have that option. So, yeah. Well, I listen. So if people want, so when we're, well, first, what's the next show you think you'll be at where people can can uh, talk um, to you about what they heard on the podcast and maybe get some product from you? Uh, the next show I'll probably be at uh, VW's on the Green in Denver. We don't have a lot to go to around here, right? Of course. So if I want to go to a show, I either have to drive like twelve hours to Minneapolis, seven hours to Denver, or ten hours over to Salt Lake. So um, I usually hit the Denver ones when they're not canceled, of course. Um, VW's on the green. I'm going to go to that one just because I like that one. Right. Um, I might go to the bug-in at the racetrack in Denver. And then this coming year, I'm going to try and get to the Salt Lake show again. Nice. But uh, other than that, I, I've always wanted to go out to the Classic in California. But, I mean, that's a that's a whole week-long adventure from well, here. L- well, listen, buddy. If you head down here to Vegas, you can take a break here and then ride with us. And then we can all caravan together if they decide to do it again this year. But uh, there you go. Yeah, listen, we'll make it we'll make it easy. I, I know we're, we've talked in the past uh, when I was a couple of podcasts ago with Elliot Vansill, and he puts on the show in Texas. So uh, we're gonna try to see if we can't get a bunch of people to drive out to Texas for a show and maybe pick up people along the way. And uh, who knows? Maybe maybe I'll I'll give you a jingle if we're gonna head to do that and uh, see if we can't get you to grab some guys from the Dakotas and head down. You know? Yeah. I think that'd be, be up for it. I think that'd be pretty cool, man. Just to get get a bunch of the VW guys. I think this year could be really huge for VW events uh, if they're able to be. If the government controlling everything doesn't keep going the way it's going, so for sure, right? Uh, yeah, no. I, I and how do people get a hold of you? They want to get a hold of you. Where do they get you at? Uh, best thing is on the the website, or uh, there's contact info on the on the website, I believe, or through Instagram. Either one. Um, type E Motorsports, and on the website it's type hyphen letter E and then Motorsports. Um, I think you can just Google it and it should pop up there. Um, but yeah, uh, send me messages, emails, that kind of thing. Um, and 
yeah, ask questions away. I, you know, try, I try and answer questions right away as soon as I get them, that no, kind of thing. No, I think it's great, man. I, I, I dig what you're doing. And uh, like I said, when, when I met you two years ago, man, I want to get you on the podcast and dig into this a little bit because it definitely was it, – it's a unique uh, a unique approach that you're taking to the uh, – to the suspension game in the VW world. And I think uh, more people need to hear about it, man. So, uh, thanks thanks for coming on, man. And, uh, if, when you come out with any new product or anything like that, man, feel free to give me a jingle and we'll get you back on the podcast. Will do. Thanks a lot for uh, having me on. No, absolutely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. I always love seeing how VW enthusiasts come up with new unique ways of, coming out with product line that makes it more affordable for people as well as, you know, greater accessibility. So I think he's doing big things up there and we'll have more. I'm sure to see from him. Uh, remember guys, give us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. Also support the podcast, go and pick up some merch at let's talk slash store. And, uh, until next week, guys later. station wagon to have a problem.